What's going on, everybody? This is your boy Dex with the Iron Pits Podcast. And before I air this episode, a uh, couple things. I want to say sorry about the audio content quality. Uh, it's, it was shot over StreamYard, and I don't know what was going on with it. And as y'all know, I'm not that tech savvy. So the sound might be a little bit off, but I promise you the content they're in is wonderful. And also, I want to say sorry for the delay in this episode. So this episode was originally supposed to be released on Mon- this past Monday, on April 10th. So people don't know is on this episode, I have retired LMPD Sergeant Eric Cover and retired LMPD Lieutenant Del Massey, who are both former LMPD SWAT operators. And so I wanted them to come on to my show to talk about their new their company that they started some years ago called STAT. You know, they do threat assessments and they teach companies and people and businesses how to respond to active shooter situations and survive and kind of train them in the right mindset. And so I I've been talking with them for a couple of weeks on getting them on the show to help get their company and their organization out because in these times that we're living in, I feel that it's really important that people know this stuff because it's unfortunate that these, that these events continue to happen. And so we do the interview on StreamYard on April 8th and, you know, prepping the episode, getting it ready. And then I wake up on Monday morning and I get up and go to work early. And I decided that when I get off of work or you know, from that, uh, that day, I'm going to go home and I'm going to officially publish the episode. But while I was at work and literally pulling in to the police station, I hear the calls on the radio about the active shooter that's currently happening in downtown Louisville on my old beat. And so my whole day gets like just thrown into a frenzy and I go downtown to try to help and assist and, you know, because I'm not Louisville Metro, there's not much I can do. So what I end up doing is going to the hospital, being with my fellow officers and sitting there and just doing what I just trying to be of some help, some something, some just I just wanted to be there and be present. Even though there's not much I could do because I don't have the metro patch on my shoulder. But I just, oh man, it just really, it really hit home for me. And then when I got home and I just thought about, man, we literally just had a podcast about this. I literally just interviewed two guys about this. And to see this situation happen two days after I just interviewed these guys, it was kind of eerie, super eerie, man. Just, I don't even know how to explain it in I've just all week I've been an emotional wreck. I've been kind of laying low on social media, you know, not really getting into much just because, man, there's just so much craziness out there still within the city surrounding this and people making this political. Personally, I don't now is not the time for politics. You know, there are people that are die, have died. There are people, loved ones that have, you know, went to work Monday morning and expected them to be home for dinner. And now they're not home for dinner. And a couple of days later, you know, they're getting ready to put these people in the ground and say their goodbyes forever. And to me, I was like, man, this is now is not the time to release this podcast because I would be tacky, disrespectful, just horrible timing, just super inconsiderate. And so I told myself, I'm going to wait. I'm going to give it about, you know, a couple of days, some time. And I was I'm going to do a Wednesday. I'm just like, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to keep waiting. And you know, after working all these extra hours this week, I decided that today, Saturday, I'm going to go ahead and release the episode. But I'm releasing it 
in mind with in mind that you know there are people still in the city still struggling with this. You know, we still have Officer Wiltz just fighting for his life right now. I mean, the, the kid's a hero. I don't <laughs> absolute hero. Four days on the job and ran towards danger. Didn't hesitate. Him and my buddy C.J. Galloway, the other officer that was involved, that was shot in the chest and his plate and man, just outstanding work by LMPD's first division. You know, just I'm still just kind of at a loss for words for how everything just transpired. And like we said in the podcast, it's not a matter if it's, it's a matter of when we've always known it was going to happen here. It's just but even when it does happen, you just still don't expect it. You know, so for my biggest thing is I just didn't want to overstep, disrespect anybody or make anybody feel like. I'm doing this podcast just because, you know, I'm trying to get out there. And that's not that's not what this is for. And for me, I, I, I wanted to keep the focus and the attention and the concern on those people that needed it. Because this podcast ain't you no, know, this ain't nothing, man. This is just a hobby. You know, I'm not in danger doing this podcast. This is this is just something I do on the side for fun. You know, but Officer Wilt, you know, he he needs he needs all the help, the attention and the focus he can get right now. The families of those that lost family members that day, they need all the help and attention that they can get right now. And I didn't want to step in and come in between that because that is not the type of person I want to be. And I know that if it was me or my family member, I, I don't know how I feel about it. And like I said, I wanted people, the city to have time to kind of try to process this thing. And I mean, because you got the news everywhere. I mean, there was news people that were going to some of the victims homes, knocking on doors. And trying to interview these people, I'm like, man, be a human being. <laughs> like, this is horrible. Give these people time. I mean, let them bury their loved one first before you start sticking a camera in their face. And so that's that's why I took my time putting this episode out. Because it's important that people hear this episode. That people know how to respond to these things and know that there's a company out there that'll help you, teach you how to respond to an active aggressor. So I said, this is just the world that we're currently living in, y'all. And unfortunately, it, you know, it was Louisville. It was Nashville a couple weeks ago. It was Louisville a couple of days ago. And it's going to be somewhere else next. It, the question is, who and where and how many? You know, the, the title of this episode is Hope is Not a Tactic. And I hope that people start waking up to the reality that you got to plan, you got to start training, you got to learn how to survive these encounters because it's not a matter if it's coming. It's a matter of when it's coming. All right, so please enjoy the episode. I'm going to get off here and stop talking. And I said, I apologize for the audio quality if it's not great, but there's still a lot to be learned and gained from listening in, okay? So you all go ahead, tune in, and enjoy the episode, okay? The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pit Podcast. Get ready for contact. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy Dex with the I Am Pits Podcast, and I'm back for another great episode today where I'm going to have two wonderful guests. 
was going to have him in the studio, but we realized we live kind of far from each other, even though we're kind of close. So we figured we just keep it, uh, do it over the air, the uh, radio, the stream waves. All right. But before we get started, you know what I got to do? I got to rep the sponsor. If you're watching this, you're seeing the video, which is very rare in the I Am Pitch podcast world. But you see the gunfighter trading shirt that I'm sitting here wearing. Wonderful product. And not only that, just got something else in the mail that I've been using. The goat milk soap from, Gunf from Gunfighter Trading Company. Awesome product. Also, you got to get yourself one of these candles, man. These freaking candles are phenomenal. This right here is the Gunfighter Candle, Gunfighter Trading Company Candle. This is the Regret. It's the one with stripper glitter in it. I don't know why they did it, but I'm glad that they did. It is a phenomenal product. And I keep telling everybody, I said on my last podcast, I don't get any money from Gunfighter Trading Company. I don't get any money from doing this show. So everything that I do, this is just to help put out a great product by three great cops out there in Erie, PA, trying to do something different, man. So be sure to go and support them. Go to gunfightertradingcompany.co. Get your merch, get your soaps, get your beard bombs, get all that stuff, man. Support these guys. They're not the next Black Rifle Coffee. I'm telling you that right now. They're going to be bigger. They're going to be better. That's my opinion. All right. So be sure to go and support them, man. And also, don't forget your, uh, to put in the code PITTS, P-I-T-T-S, to get 50% off on all your purchases. But other than that, we're going to go ahead and uh, get it started, man. So uh, I'm sure, as you all are aware, I talked about on my last podcast. But, man, another school shooting in America. Another one. The last one this time was in uh, Nashville. And, man, let me tell you. I'm just at a point where the stuff keeps happening and nothing seems to be getting done about it. And schools aren't really doing anything about it. It seems like it's just become business as usual. But we're to a point now to where something has to be done. And here in a second, I'm going to bring on my two guests and they're going to talk about what they're doing to help stem the tide of violence in this country with these active aggressive situations. But before we do that, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to do a screen share here and I'm going to show you all a video of um, their company that they just started. All right. So get, stick with me on this. Like it's all new for me. So I'm working on all this it's called safe stream and was used in training today. Wave news reporter Kennedy Hayes explains how it works. Myra, the app partners with LMPD's SWAT team training called STAT. Together, they focus on training victims in mass emergencies. Teachers learn how to work with each other and police to get out of a crisis as quickly and as safely as possible. So you will press this button. The latest tool for schools to use in crisis situations. It'll start to stream, okay? And that's how you will be able to give us video information on what's happening. An app called SafeStream is like calling 911 with live video and text. Victims are able to create group channels sharing where they are during an active shooter situation. It actually goes to a portal that we created. And from this portal, we can use this information to send to any law enforcement or first responders who need the information. The app partners with Strategic Threat Assessment Training, known as STAT for short. Anyone have any guns or knives on there? Monday, staff at Nur Islamic School first completed a classroom course before testing their knowledge in a real-world setting. There's a lot of training for police and government and active shooters. The disconnect was the amount of training that was offered to civilians. So we set out as our mission to get as many civilians trained for an active shooter event as we could. Our school is, is not a big school, so those kiddos, I can tell you, there are as my own child children. So I really want them to be safe. Teachers like Nola Vozamat were trained in a series of simulations. Perfect. 
from active shooter scenarios to fire drills. Let's go, fire drill. Each time the app was used as a guide to keep as many children safe as possible. Parents of the kids, of course, they will know that their kids are safe and, um, you know, uh, call the the police or 911 as as fast as the event happened. Now these services can also be used at colleges, churches and other locations or for companies experiencing a fire, flood or natural disaster. We'll have a link where you can learn more about SafeStream's app and stat in this story on our website, wave3.com. All right, let me shut this off. All right. Got that. All right. So y'all just saw the video from the news on these two guys. I'm going to go ahead and bring them into the studio. I said we have with us retired LMPD Sergeant Eric Cover and retired LMPD Lieutenant Del Massey. Gentlemen, what's going on? What up, Max? How's it going, buddy? Not hey, bad. Not, man, glad to have you both on here. I don't know if a lot of people know. I, I used to work for both of these guys <laughs> back in the second division. Actually, I like to say you worked with us. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. But she told me to do something. I did it. So, <laughs> did a good job, man. <laughs> appreciate. It. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, we uh, we all used to work together in the second division. That's the West End of Louisville. And both of these gentlemen are both SWAT operators. Now, how long, LT? How long were you were were you in SWAT? Uh, six years. Six years. In SWAT, I thought you did more. Six years. Okay, and Dale. Or still not Dale. <laughs> Eric, how many years were you on? Sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah. Man, that's incredible, man. Long time be doing that, man. That, the words on the body after a while, for sure. I know, man. And word on your mind and body. Yeah, definitely will, especially in Louisville at the uh, rate we've been going. So, man, I want to ask you all before we get into your backgrounds and more of that. When this school shooting happened the other day in Nashville. With what you all teach, what's the first thing that came to you all's mind when y'all heard this come out? Um, <clears throat> frankly, it's just happens all too often. You know, it's something we have to deal with in the news every you know week or two. Um, what struck us as the most successful thing in the operation was how the Nashville officers actually responded, um, drove to the stimulus, and, and negated the threat. They went in there and went to work immediately, um, learning you know past lessons from the failures. Quite frankly, we've seen in America time and time again for response to these. Eric. Man, same thoughts. Um, you know, it's not a matter of if it happens again, it's a matter of when and where. And so with that said, um, we kind of expect these things to happen um, frequently. And um, I try not to pay attention to it too much because it just happens so often and it's kind of, it'll eat you up. But at the same time, in the business of what we're doing, it's kind of important. And so like Dale said, going back and watching that uh, Nashville response was excellent. Excellent response. Even though, like, we forget the Nashville guys did a great job, there's still people that lost their life. Yeah. You know, I tell people when these incidents happen, everyone's like, call 911, call 911. Yes, call 911. But when these crises happen, it's a matter of minutes before an officer actually gets there and an officer is actually able to, you know, intercede, inter intervene in the, uh, the whole the incident, man. And when those minutes matter, you have to be have a plan in place and you have to be able to do something to kind of help yourself in that moment. Because, you know, we call 911, but they're not going to be there right away, man. So that's why I'm glad that we kind of got you all 
starting this company up and doing what you all are doing, man. So before we get into it, LT, if you want to just give us a bit of your background in law enforcement and where you're from and how you got into law enforcement and what you did in law enforcement. Yeah, yeah. So um, born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, Always wanted to be an LPD officer until the time I was probably 12 or 13. Um, Prior to joining LMPD, I was in the Air Force, uh, Air National Guard out of Kentucky. I went through the hiring process at the age of 20, and I started the academy when I was 21. So I was very, very young. Um, graduated when I was 21. Um, 9-11 happened. Soon after, I was solo, gone for 14 months, came back. <clears throat> uh, went to the old second. This is pre-merger. Downtown area business district. Where we had the, you know, all the bars. We had Beecher uh, Terrace and Clarksdale when they were still standing, you know, flanked by two um, government housing projects. Rode on late watch for about a year, then became a housing authority liaison officer, where all I dealt with was the projects. So like getting rapport with people, um, quality of life issues, stuff like that. The projects were very violent place back then. Um, <clears throat> fast forward, I did it for a couple of years, then I go to Flex in the second division, which is like a base level narcotics unit, the division level, lower level complaints, that type of thing. Got promoted to sergeant in 2007, went to the old second again, which is the old fourth, which is where we, we worked at with Eric and you, uh, Dexter, as well. Did about four months on late watch. Then I became the flex sergeant um, down there, so supervising what I did previously in the first division. So first-line supervisor. Um, this is where I got a lot of my experience, you know, going over search warrants, talking about cases, how to build good cases, things of that nature, because – to me, it was always more quality than quantity of work when it comes to stuff like that. Got promoted to lieutenant in 2010. Went to the third division uh, where I grew up at. Hated it. Didn't like it. Um, formal, former chief Gentry called me. I was doing jury duty. I'll never forget it. She's like, hey, you want to go back to the second? I'm like, absolutely. She's like, you're the only person I would call that would say that. But I was like, please, please send me back. Um, Went back oh, to the, the second. black hole for a reason, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's once you're in there, it sucks you in. It's hard to get out. And once you do work like that in that area where those people need the police and you see the severity of issues, going out and dealing with somebody, oh, he cut my grass. You're going to call the police because he's over on your property line. Just that, that, that just, I couldn't deal with it. Um, so I joined the team in 2015, I believe. Um, Bates, Major Bates, now Colonel Bates, had gotten promoted. And uh, Lieutenant Routson was the, the commander at the time and had been trying to get a second person to help him out because I did the team commander job for myself, by myself for like a year and a half. It's, I mean, you're on call 24 seven. So joined the team in 2015, um, 2017, I went to our special events unit. So we planned like Derby, Oaks, Thunder. So large scale event planning, um, project management too, kind of sort of. So then I did that for about a year and a half. And then I took over the full-time team from uh, Colonel Humphrey now back in August of 2019. Did that for two or three years and then uh, retired this past August 1st. Nice. Well, congratulations on your retirement, man. How many it's, years was the total? I did 22 total. 22, 22 total. So total. I was out the door at 43 with 22 years. So a great, Perfect. great, great, nothing but great things to say about my time. You know, there, I know a lot of things changed towards the end of it, but to do what we do and get the training we got, you know, I feel fortunate. Definitely. Sergeant Cobra. Man, I'm going to try this. Uh, my wife says I have CTE, so I may not remember all the stuff like Dale remembers. But uh, I came on with the county police in uh, 2001 with the uh, Jefferson County Police. Um, I tease uh, people all the time because my dad was a city police officer 
he ended up working for uh, the city of Louisville police for 32 years. So I tell people all the time, I have city blood, but county hair. So you got to appreciate that. So I came on county police uh, prior, prior to merger. Um, and then at merger time, uh, we, you know, I kind of shake up all the districts and divisions. And I worked in Charlie district, which kind of became part of the sixth division. So I worked there as a uh, patrol for a couple of years. And then um, after merger um, from the sixth division, I transferred voluntarily down to the second division. I got tired of all these city cops talking about how tough they were. So I had to show that the county cops could do it too. So I went down to second division, worked the patrol down there. Uh, got involved in an officer mob shooting while I was there. Um, after that, I transferred from there out to the seventh division. And then in 2008, I resigned from the police department as a patrolman and I got hired by the FBI and I went off to Quantico, became a special agent and they shipped me off to Wisconsin. I did that for about a year and uh, it wasn't my speed, wasn't my thing. Just I tried it. Um, I didn't like the cold weather, man, I just couldn't hack it. So I came back to Louisville and went back to the seventh division on late watch, went from patrol there for about a couple of years and then ended up going to be a flex detective. Like they'll talk about working in one of some of the flex divisions or flex units in the divisions, street level narcotics, uh, burglaries, car break-ins, you know, suspect, wanted suspects, that kind of stuff. And then um, I joined the SWAT team in 2004 as a part-time officer, uh, worked there. And then when I resigned from Metro, I actually tried out for the FBI SWAT team and made their team up in, uh, up in Milwaukee. Um, each city in the, and each major city and every state has a SWAT team for the FBI. So I worked with them for, you know, while I was there that year. Came back to Metro, like I said, worked in patrol, worked in flex. And then I got promoted to sergeant in 2014. Um, I went back down to the second division again as a supervisor, worked in patrol there with you. Um, moved around a couple shifts, uh, got back on the SWAT team. I had to try back out and I was a new guy all over again. Uh, the guys that I came on the SWAT team with were now, uh, you know, senior guys on the team. So I got my, my harassment um, as a new guy. Um, and then I stayed in the second division, moved from patrol into what we call the uh, impact platoon, which we don't really have those anymore either. But they were kind of a smaller unit, a sub uh, unit of like a flex platoon, did a couple of different specialty things, but worked more um, in direction directly from the major. And then in, um, man, what year was that, 2016, um, I became the first full-time SWAT officer for the first full-time SWAT team for Louisville Metro. Um, I was assigned to the air unit in special operations. Myself and uh, Rob Kalin, he was the first bomb sergeant full-time position. He and I worked directly for Lieutenant Routson, who was the SWAT commander and the air unit commander. Uh, I worked for about a year or two getting a team set up, uh, housing, facilities, logistics, equipment, um, procedures, all that kind of stuff. And then they made the team full time. And my job was to kind of get that preset before everybody got there. And I spent my time there until 2020, I guess, 2020. Then uh, I left the team uh, by choice. I had just uh, graduated from SPI. Spent a couple months there, and uh, that break away from the team um, kind of changed the game for me with my family. Man, I missed a lot of my my kids uh, as babies. Um, missed a lot of family time, 
and um, I didn't want to miss any more. So I kind of felt like 16 years in SWAT, whether it was with the FBI or whether it was with Metro, kind of got my feel. Um, I kind of lost, you know, the motivation to be there. Um, so it was time for me, you know, just to change. So I volunteered and went down to the firearms training center as a sergeant down there. Was a supervisor down at the FTC. Um, spent some time down there for about a year or two. Left and went over to training. And I worked in the advanced training unit and some special project stuff. And then about a year before I retired, I spent my last uh, assignment with the performance review board, which was a unit that was newly created. And it was kind of um, working with the DOJ to get some stuff set up for the department for officer involved shootings. So my job was to uh, have an outside look. Uh, not as an investigative unit, but more as a uh, training and advisement unit to kind of help with officer involved shooting for future incidents. And then I retired at the uh, end of 2022. And I've been retired for about three months now. And uh, yeah. loving life, man. <laughs> and I saw I ran into you a couple months ago at the, uh, I think at the uh, physical therapist, man. I was having problems with my shoulder. You were in there for something. I was like, man, I what's up, man? Shoulders, leg, you name it. I got problems with it. So every now and then I go take a little visit and uh, get readjusted. But yeah, man, I saw you in there and kind of re, you know, kind of rekindled that that contact we had from before, and we had a conversation, and here we are. So yeah, well, I don't know if you remember having talked with young officer Pitts about going fed, trying to talk me out of it. Like it ain't what you think it is. I remember when no, I came man, back. I remember, yeah, sitting at that roll call table, you were talking about going to Border Patrol. And uh, now I never told you no. I never said don't do it. That's true. I just said think about these things. And But here's the thing, man. You don't know until you try. And uh, That's right. I don't fault you for trying. And just like anything, you don't know until you go. And uh, you got to learn for yourself, man. But it was a good experience either way. It was a good experience. You know, and the, speaking of experience, man. A lot of people, you know, there's so many companies popping up all over the place, man. Every time you turn around, somebody's starting a company, you know, shooting, self-defense, man. So my thing is, how did this whole thing, the name of your company, STAT, is, correct me if I'm strategic threat assessment training, correct? Correct. Correct. STAT. So how Dale did this whole story? Dale, tell the story. He loves it. <laughs> how did it come together, all right. Dale? All right. So it's uh, November 2016. We signed up for this high-speed DOE class because we get to spend four nights in Vegas and one what's night the, at this. What's DOE? For the people Department of know. Energy. There you go. Department of Energy. So it's like a nuclear um, tactical class where what if you have to do tactics in a nuclear environment? What does that look like? The mop levels, all this kind of stuff. So we thought we'd have a couple nights in Vegas, go do our training, boom. When we get there, 0500, they're like, hey, guys, we're changed. The whole class is going to be at this base now because people aren't showing up for class because they're hanging out in Vegas too long at night. So they bust us to a base called Mercury, Nevada. It's on the outskirts of Area 51. Um, you've seen the famous nuclear apple test house, the White House that gets kind of exploded. Yeah, yeah. Itself. So we were there. So we're there. When you get there, you can't have your phone with you. Your phone's got to stay in your room because it's a Department of Energy base. There's certain things that I don't want people to see or know about. So all pretty much all you can do is you can go to class in the morning. Class was, it was all right. Um, you can work out at a little bar and you could eat. That was it. There, there was like day rooms in the dorms, but we're like, man, there's nothing to do. 
someone that we're just talking about, man, what are we going to do when we retire? Because at that time we were both in the twilight, you know, I could leave in four years, he could leave in five. Um, and what can we do? Well, we, Eric kind of had the eureka moment. He's like, man, he's like, we get all this active shooter training, all this RTF, all this hostage rescue stuff. But you know who doesn't get any of it? Civilians. So in 2016, our initial goal was to become a civilian-only training company by meaning don't teach police, don't teach tactics, just train civilians. So we took about two years. We had some jobs here and there. Uh, started to really get busy. We had a great product. Our infrastructure was built. Our capabilities were up here. Then COVID happened, and then the whole world stopped with outside training, more or less. So we were kind of dormant for 18 months. And then last May, it really started picking back up for us again. So what happened last May that, uh, as to why you think business started picking up again? When, when America started opening back up in conjunction with some of the release of the mandates, um, companies felt comfortable again having people come in and perform outside training. Um, so, and, and again, too, man, what we do is a niche, right? A lot of people don't want to pay the money. They want to pop in this video and just have their people watch it. And Eric will tell you better than I, you can't, you don't get trained by you like that, man. You're just, I didn't own the police department. I'm sure you didn't either. You got on your phone and just took the test. So we wanted to really make it our training impactful um, on all levels. I mean, honestly, Vector, too, um, I mean, we love our product and what we're teaching, uh, getting a message across to people and getting them trained up. But, man, what we really, what we found from this training is that um, people really want to be engaged. And we, man, we actually pride ourselves on, we, we're, we're not going to make them go to sleep in class. Man, you're going to be entertained. Um, I know it's a dark topic, and I know sometimes it can be negative, but we do have a lot of positive energy in the class. We have a lot of positive messages. Uh, there is some, there is some comedy, you know, we get people to get their attention. We make them laugh. Um, and we'll talk to them about the good and the bad, man. Sometimes, you know, the policemen make mistakes or the police departments don't always do the right thing. Uh, we're not afraid to admit that we'll talk about it. And I'll be honest with you, man, it resounds with people because we're honest and we're true to the information and people really love it. They love the classes. We'll walk into a class, man, and you'll see people with their arms crossed and a lot of kind of, kind of putting that wall up. And uh, by the time we leave, man, we have friends in the class. I mean, we really enjoy that. That's good, man. That's great to hear. That's definitely great to hear. So man, what is it that you think is actually separating your company from all the other companies? Because there's just so many of them, man. It's, and I, every time I turn around, man, I, I'm seeing the company and I see people and I'm like, man, because after the war on terror came to an end, you got a lot of guys with a lot of experience out here. You know, what makes that so unique for you all? for you for the uh future customers well i mean man, i'm gonna speak about a couple of things but um i mean we're bringing real world experience we're bringing uh i've been to a couple uh active shooter responses uh one of the ones i was at was at the j town kroger if you remember that incident um i was i was in there i was one of the first guys in the building um from the swap team making uh, movement through the structure um so dale was also there we got to see first person kind of responsible that looks like um, one of the things I saw was uh, when I first made entry in the back of the building on the three side uh, come in the back of the Kroger and uh, there was a freezer to my right and in that freezer was about 30 people standing there with their groceries um, they had you know babies in, in in their in their carts they had old people in wheelchairs every kind of walk of life was in that freezer and they all had the same look on their face a look of confusion 
a look of fear and a look of not knowing what to do next. And so we made that entry, uh, cleared the building, and uh, we ended up dealing with that, that suspect uh, residence later that night. But like we know what that looks like. We know what, what the incident looks like. I've been to a couple of high schools here in town. I've been to a couple of businesses and active shooter response. And we're bringing in that real world police experience of what that looks like. Uh, and we, and Dale talks about this all the time in class. It's the response to the active shooter itself for us is the easy part. The part that nobody really talks about that really trains on is the aftermath, what it looks like after the incident. You know, the, the whole reunification of families, victim notification, continuity of your business. You know, how's your business going to survive? Because that's a crime scene. You know, it's going to be shut down for several weeks, about a month. Um, what are you doing to prepare yourself for those kind of things? And that's the stuff we talk about. We, we go beyond just the tactics of it, but we go into the actual real world as a civilian. How do I respond? What do I do during? What do I do after? And what do I do to prepare myself and my family for the future? And I like to add some too, Dex. I, you, you said earlier, you said after the war on terror, a lot of people with a lot of experience, 100% agree. Um, you've got sheriffs teaching active shooter who've never responded to one. You've got firefighters, retired firefighters teaching active shooter. Um, Eric always brings this up and I'm surprised he didn't. I'm a veteran. You're a decorated veteran. That doesn't mean that you can train people how to survive active shooter events because the rules of engagement are completely different. We've got the Fourth Amendment. There's so, so many things. So we've gotten great training from former military guys on tactics. So what we try to teach is this. And let me back up real quick. So we were never going to teach law enforcement. So I got a call um, from your beat partner, Dave Kemper, used to be the number two at uh, uh, Spencer County Sheriff, where my kids go to school. Hey, Dale, man, I know you are training civilians. Can you train us? I'm like, absolutely not. We don't train the police. Because as you know, police are hard to train. Yeah, absolutely. And to Eric's point, too, the whole time you're up there, they're like, man, I know more than this guy, right? It's just how it is. Talk to Eric. He's like, man, those are your kids. I'm like, you're right. Those are the dudes that are going to respond to my kids. So when we teach law enforcement and RTF, we're not trying to train you to be a SWAT team or even that you're at the level of looking up for your own, your own outside training, right? So we get a lot of young guys that want to go take all these different classes and whatnot. These guys want a baseline. So our tactics with them is very little. It's more about mindset, principles, things to look for, indicators. Because what have we seen time and time again? People are not acting quickly enough in these events, right? So what we teach law enforcement is more mindset. And then if you pick up a couple tactics and we break like two bad habits, Great. You know what I'm saying? We want to make sure that they get they get value out of what we're doing. So, like, they're not having to train to this high standard because they could probably never reach it. But we want to make them better each time we see them, if that makes sense. So, incrementally, they can do Some of the training we've gone to is, um, I mean, you know, we'll do regular classroom work, which takes about an hour to sit through the class. And we'll go through just, you know, we talk and we engage with the class. But we took it to another level where we started teaching scenario-based training to civilians. And a lot of times in the past, we would go out as a SWAT team and we would train and we would do active shooter scenarios and businesses and we would have people be role players towards. And uh, the businesses were like, oh, man, that was awesome. It was so much fun. Uh, we learned so much. Man, here's the truth. Those business people, they were just role players for us. They really, we weren't there to train them. We were just using them as kind of dummies, so to speak, um, to be, you know, in our, in our scenario. So we kind of flipped it on its head and Dale and I do, where we now have SWAT guys uh, either retired or contracted with us, you know, and they come out 
and then they are the role players for the civilians. And now we coach the civilians through the scenario and have the SWAT guys be the role player, the dummy, so to speak, for them. Man, we added tabletop scenarios. We do tabletop classes for for uh, for businesses. Uh, we do in threat assessments. We're now we're taking basically how we would look at a business or a facility or a location we would do on a SWAT operation. We kind of reverse engineered that and then made it into a threat assessment to tell the business how to better improve their, their physical um, locations. And like Dale said, everything we do is about mindset. It's about principles and concepts. We don't get into the tactics. We don't get into the rules of things because that always changes. There's always factors that, that are variables you can't control. But if you can control your mindset and you can control your uh, decision-making, then you have a say in how things go. You're not just being told what's going to happen to you. So, man, and one last thing, and I'll kind of get off my soapbox here. No, this one is your soapbox. y'all, man. Man, one thing that we never planned for, we never, ever planned for this, and it just happened, was when we started doing the scenario-based training for the civilians, what we found from it was the amount of team building that, they, that became of that. They had this team building that they started – you know, improving upon their, their camaraderie and how they work together just on those scenarios. And we never, ever planned for that. And now we just kind of let that blossom and bloom. And now we're taking that to another level. So let me ask you, all: after the Uvalde incident, which was completely horrible and just absolutely tragic, did you all see an uptick in interest from companies and schools wanting to learn what you all are teaching? Because I think what people realize after Uvalde is, like I said earlier, you can call 911, but that doesn't mean that the officers responding are necessarily mentally and physically pre pre prepared to respond to that type of environment. 100% Dex. So, so here's the thing about us. Another thing that kind of, the people who are serious about active shooter training and preparedness, they're the ones that hire us. The people who just want to check a box, they do something different. Um, to your point with Evalde, interest went up. Yes, it did quite a bit. Um, but we don't market or anything. Everything we do is word of mouth and just based on our reputations here. We just traveled to Georgia and Illinois based on a contact we had in Louisville who we did work for. So as we get more requests, we grow organically. But, yeah, definitely our requests have gone up. We're going to be at a school in Carrollton uh, on Monday doing a threat assessment for them. So two important things, though, too. When we talk about our model of survival, the two most important things we train people is unpredictable nature, right, because – the Kroger shooting Eric was talking about. That was a hate crime, remember? Oh, yeah. White, oh, yeah. white, white male, black victims. So figuring all this out, we go back to J-Town. We're going to do a search warrant. FBI is involved. They get the key to the dude's house, right, from mom and dad. They say, hey, we want you to use the key and not do any damage because they're being cooperative. What do you think we said? Hell, we're going to blow the door. <laughs> explosive charge, explosive breach. But who knows what could be behind that behind that door? Um, and they say no. They're like, okay, then we'll just go. They change their mind. Anyways, long story short, Eric's inside. I'm on the talk on the outside. He comes up on the radio. He's like, man, we got the wrong house. I'm like, what? That and you know how bad that is. Being in the oh, wrong yeah. house on an FBI, it, it's not good, right? There's no goods coming to this. So I'm going back and forth with the FBI and Eric. I go in and he shows me this picture. It's a white dude, black female, biracial child. Dude, he was married to a black woman, had a biracial child. Unpredictable nature, right? That's the first thing we teach you. The second most important thing is you brought up Uvalde. We train people, it's your responsibility to survive. It could be that cop's first day, his last day. 
what's his training level? So the dude's going on trial down in Parkland, Florida. In mm-hmm. 32 years, he had four hours of active shooter training response, right? So we train people. You're responsible for you. But we also, as a byproduct, we meet with local law enforcement. So when we travel the country, we link up with their police department who responds to our uh, client and get them on the same page, right? And so we've seen different levels. Of, we were just in Champaign, Illinois, super squared away, super squared away with their response. We've been to counties in Georgia where the sheriff goes, I reckon we ain't got a plan. So unpredictable nature, and then you're responsible for your survival for the initial 10 to 15-minute period. So that's kind of like our our thing is that we're kind of that link between the first responders and the civilians. We we know both sides of the equation, so we know how to get both of those groups to work together in collaboration. And all that does is save lives, right? That's what we're trying to do. So do you see the landscape of America changing the way America currently is? Like people are finally starting to wake up to the reality that, man, we have to have a plan in place. Are y'all starting to see that more and more that people are reaching out? Yes and no. Um, we, we get people that are interested um, and they'll reach out. And like Dale said, the ones that are serious will really, they'll, they'll reach out and we'll set up training. The ones that aren't, they just want to check the box. They'll watch the videos or do something else they want to do. But what we're starting to learn um, is slowly there's not really a standard across the country, whether it's police response or some kind of civilianized training. There is no standard. There's no rule. Um, what we're starting to see, though, is now some insurance agencies are starting to require some of their companies and their clients to have some training. And then we're also starting to understand that the federal government may be mandating some training for people that receive like Medicaid, Medicare, that kind of stuff. Um, that was supposed to start, I think, right before COVID happened, but COVID kind of slow rolled that and kind of got it slowed down. So there, there's some companies reaching out to us that are saying they're being required, whether it's through their corporate headquarters or their insurance agencies. And they're like, man, honestly, we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. We don't know who puts this training on. And like Dale said, man, we don't even advertise or commercialize ourselves. Um, maybe we need to start doing that just to kind of get the word out there that we're available. But there's only a handful of, uh, of companies that I know of around the country that are doing anything like this. And the ones that I do know, we don't all do the same thing. We've got some similar principles and concepts, but how we go about doing the training is a, it's a little bit different. Definitely, definitely, man. Are you seeing any resistance, I'm guessing, to people like that don't want to accept the current landscape of America? Like, this will, not ha- this will never happen, man. Are y'all seeing a lot of that out there? Um, no, man, that's people have gained a lot of knowledge over the past three to four years. So when we first started teaching, you know, we asked our, our, our classroom, what do you think the first law enforcement's first responsibility is when they get here to help us? And I'm like, no, it's to kill the bad guy. There was a lot of misconceptions about police response to active shooters. Now we go to class, everybody's like, go get the bad guy. They, they already know. They know. So there's been a, a bigger knowledge base in, in the corporate world that we've seen. The problem is, is corporations don't put any money in their training budgets, right? Which sounds crazy to us, counterintuitive, but if they're out to make a profit, well, if they're out to make a profit, um, well, I can't waste money on security because security don't get me anything. We're seeing an uptick in executives who really care about the safety, and then you have the ones that care about the liability. It used to be the ones that cared about the liability were way up here, safety down here. 
I think it's starting to equalize. Like we met with some people that I would hire them tomorrow because they knew everything that we were going to say before we were going to say it. Like to Eric's point too, if he and I get in a room with a decision maker, we've never not gotten that job because it's horrible that we have to profit off of this, right? We're never going to get rich off this. That's not our goal, but we have to sustain a lifestyle of being retired. So we created a system and you're paying for our 46 years of combined experience, right? So we, it, it comes to an issue of, are you serious about the training or are you just trying to check a box? So, but we, I definitely have seen an increase in executives that are asking good questions for the right reasons. You know what I love about it too, man, a lot of people like they'll talk about, they'll call us in to come talk to them. And when we meet with the decision makers, it's, it's never not, you know, happen in a positive light uh, for us or for them. But what we're trying to tell people is most of our training, if not all, is hired through a company or a corporation to come in and train their people. But everything that we train those people and those employees in, they can now take it home to their families, right? Everything that you learn at your place of business in regards to the active shooter training that we provide is now applicable to you and your family when you're out at the grocery store, when you're at the movie theater, when you're at the mall, wherever you're at on vacation. If it were to happen and you're there, that information that you found at work now applies. And so we look at it as an investment. Dale talks to these uh, these corporate leaders all the time and says, hey, listen, you guys have a 401k or you have health benefits or you pay for a gym membership. Look at it like this. When you provide this training to your people, you're showing them that you're investing in them. You're investing in their families and their well-being and their mental health. And now you're giving those people empowerment to be able to make decisions wherever they are, whether it's at work or home. So, man, we just love doing it. Like Dale said, we're, we're not looking to get rich on this, but you know, I'm retired. I got, I'm, I'm on a fixed income now, so I gotta have something. <laughs> but, man, most of the time, people they they're a little hesitant. They're a little kind of they don't really know because it's not really standardized yet. But once they do it, they love it. So, and how are kids? How are like kids in classes, classrooms that you all are working with responding? To the training because this is a completely different world than any of us grew up in back when we were going to school we had tornado drills fire drills never in my life did i think that i my kids would be doing an active aggressor drill or a school so, shooting drill to back up real quick you said something important you said people are not hoping this is going to happen i had it written up on the board but it was bad handwriting eric always used to say this on the swat team i hope hope's not a tactic hope's not going to get you survival we actually got that we try to get trademarked we got signal mark because it's intellectual property. So you can't hope something bad is not going to happen. Uh, our first slide is about Columbine because that changed police response throughout the country. Mm -hmm. But then you know what happened 10 years before Columbine? And you and you live in Louisville. What happened 10 years before Columbine? As a standard revere? 100%. People don't realize that. It's already happened in Louisville before. Like it's going to continue to happen. Training kids. So we have built curriculum to train high school kids. We do not train children in the school setting. We train administrators and teachers. Um, there's discussions with us on how to do that going forward. But what we do is we tell them to base their drills off of what we teach them, right? So our principals and the things we teach them in their scenarios, they they impart that on the children. And in each school is different, right? So Definitely. Now, I saw that on the uh, news clip. There's an app that y'all have that works with the now, how did that come about? That's pretty cool, man. <laughs> yeah, so it's, man, we have a couple of business partners. Um, SafeStream is, is one of those. Um, that business partner came about through a contact on the SWAT team, just like the police department, man. We know somebody that knows somebody. Um, they knew what we were doing. They knew what he was doing over at SafeStream. 
and uh, Juju is uh, is the guy running the show over there for them. And he kind of got introduced to us through a, a mutual friend on the SWAT team. Um, we sat down, and man, it just happened to be we both lived in the same town at the same time, trying to get people trained and just doing it two different ways of you know of training. Um, and we sat down over a number of different conversations and meetings and said, man, let's make this work. Uh, we feel like he gives us uh, a boost in what we're doing and improves our, our, uh, our line of training and our, and our resources. At the same time, we do the same for, for Juju over SafeStream. Um, and we kind of help each other and we build off each other. And every time we can, we try to get each other involved in whatever we're trying to do. So. You know, when you're talking about resources, that's another thing people are talking about, why people don't go to training, why officers don't train. I don't have time. I don't have the money. I don't have the money. Money, money, money. Economy is bad right now. I can't do this. I can't do that. What's y'all's response to people when you hear them say, I can't afford to train or I can't afford to put my employees through this training? Well, here's my, my, my quick take on it's this. I'm sure they'll have a response. But if you don't pay for training early on, you're going to be paying for it later. All right. I mean, we can look at examples across the country that if you're not investing in your training and what your people are doing, then you're going to pay for it on the backside, whether it's through lawsuits or litigation or, um, you know, paying for, for damages, uh, things that, 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 that happen as a result of your lack of training or your investment in training, you're going to pay one way or the other, right? It, and Eric's 100% correct. And that kind of goes back to my previous point. We get all the jobs where people are serious about training. Um, if it comes to money, I'm like, you can't afford not to pay. And Dex, we're not talking about we're charging people hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. It's very, very reasonable. Like we've done a, quite a few bourbon jobs and they're profiting billions of dollars a year. Here's a bill for $18,000. Like it's, it's money to sneeze at, you know, those are just numbers, but it all goes back to their motivation for the training. If they're serious, it's all good. They'll find the money, right? If they're not, then they won't. They'll, they'll get some online thing and have you watch it or they'll, are some retired firefighter that usually checks fire extinguishers. Now he's training you an active shooter based on some stuff he's never done. So we just, we keep it real with people. And we're not for everybody either. We, we admit that like our material never changes. It's always the same. We talk about hard stuff. We try to make it enjoyable, but we're not going to mute anything because what we're telling you is the truth. And we've dealt with everybody from um, nonprofits, Islamic schools. We've done stuff for Presbyterian church. We've done like, our thing to us is we just want to train as many people in as many walks of life and as many different, uh, you know, regions as we can. Right. So we, we train whoever. Definitely. So let me ask you, um, you all don't you all have grants available to help people get fun, get funded to get to get the training? Yeah, uh, we're, we're kind of working through the so in, in the state of Kentucky, the Office of Homeland Security, which is out of Frankfurt. Um, we're, we're kind of working with them a little bit. Um, we don't have any kind of agreements or any kind of uh, sponsorship or anything like that through them. You can't do that. But they're making grants available to nonprofit agencies out there to have threat assessments completed, uh, which is kind of what we do. And then beyond that threat assessment, you then can apply for grant funding to pay for your training uh, to involve active shooter type stuff. So it's becoming more available. Um, I think it's getting ready to close like next week. Um, I don't even know if anybody even knows about it. So what we're going to try to do in the future is start making people more aware. Uh, we're going to reach out to Homeland Security and see if we can get some heads up and make people aware of when that's coming. And so they can apply for that 
and then get that paid for it and it doesn't come you know out of their pocket doesn't come off their profit and they can get their training that they need yeah there's a, they have one time investment and they actually have to hire someone to do the threat assessment but once that's done you're talking you know if they if they need a five hundred thousand dollar camera system boom the money's there they don't turn people down because not enough people know about it right so they're they're dying to give money up there's just people don't know the process unfortunately yeah, and that's what a lot of things, man, you know, the information is out there. People just don't have access to the information. Where can they find this stuff at anywhere? Where if somebody wants to go and apply, where can they go get this at? Uh, like right now, you go to the Kentucky Department of Homeland Security website and they have their grant program. And uh, right now they're, they're funding the nonprofits. Um, I don't think there's grant funding for profit agencies, but that doesn't mean that's not going to happen in the future. Uh, one thing Dale and I are trying to do beyond teaching the classes and the scenarios and the tabletops and the threat assessments is we're trying to sit down and meet with decision makers, whether it's in government or any kind of rule makers for any kind of like legislation. And we want to talk to people and get more of a collaboration, like between police, fire, EMS, um, your your dispatchers, your metro safes. Um, emergency management agencies, right? We're trying to get people to collaborate and talk to one another and work together. Because as we've seen on these incidents, not really one agency is ever in charge. And you can't do it by yourself. You're going to be working with everybody else. And so you got to kind of lose the ego. You got to kind of realize what your lane is and be really good at it. And then understand how to utilize your partners and what they're doing and make the best. Because at the end, it's not about us. It's not about you. It's about the people that are actually being victimized in these active shooter incidents and how are we going to help them? And so we're trying to reach out to the state fire marshal's office and Homeland Security's office and uh, the fire department. Uh, what is it? Um, um, what's it called? The whole national organization for the fire department. Oh, yeah, yeah, National Fire Prevention Bureau. Yeah. 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 So, man, things like that, we're trying to figure that out. Uh, sit down with, you know, guys like you, Dexter. You know, you've got contacts across the country, uh, other agencies. Uh, we want to reach out and figure out how to make this work and make sure everybody benefits from it. Definitely, man. Definitely. Like I said, it's something that it really needs to get out there, man. Now, when it comes to working with other police departments and agencies, how are they receptive? Are they pretty receptive to you all with you all's experience? Because I know as officers, there's a lot of ego. You know, there's a whole lot of pride. And, man, I don't need these retired guys telling me how to do this. Man, I've done this before, man. Are most police departments you work with receptive? Um, the ones we have relationships with are, yes, because they're they're deep relationships. So probably we've trained, what, 10, 16, close to 20 agencies now. And they're all agencies we have a personal connection with, whether it be a friendship, professional working relationship. And we go in there, man, and, like, so training officers is bad enough. Imagine training SWAT team officers. Like that's, yeah. that's even worse. Right. So we actually yeah, have a system for how we, how we train our instructors to teach. We're here to empower and uplift. So you've been to how many police schools? Oh, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. We're like, Hey man, you can do it that way. But can you consider this? It's all in our message and how we teach to them because at the end of the day, you know, they're hiring us to come and teach them. We're not hard asses trying to get them to be the best they can be. We want, we want that, but we're there to provide the best services we can for them. It's, it's all in our delivery. Um, our demeanor and then just how we talk to people, man, because at the end of the day, they just want respect, you know? So. And man, we don't, we don't get into a whole lot of, I mean, we will teach a little bit of tactics. Uh, we're teaching tactics that we've used ourselves or we've been taught, um, you know, somebody's taught us. Um, we, we, we do get into that a little bit, 
but most of our focus is on the principles and the concepts, you know, and the message that goes behind it. Because, I mean, let's face it, things evolve, things change. Uh, we're retired now, so we're out of the game, right? But we've been around long enough to understand that kind of is a cycle. It comes back. And we still contract with guys that are active. We'll hire them in to come in and give us the latest and greatest. But we try to evolve with things, and we just let them know, man, this is not about the, the tactic, the technique, or the principle, the TTP, right? It's about the concepts. It's about the mindset. It's about, you know, how can you make a decision based on things that you've never dealt with and then make the best decision at the time given to you. So we're trying to teach people to be decision makers. And, and I'll add something else from the law enforcement community as a whole. So back in 2016, 2017, the, the model for SWAT teams kind of changed for warrant service, um, surrounding call out, deliberate stuff, no more dynamic stuff, which is great for that. It's great. I mean, slow down. What's the hurry? Don't prioritize property or dope over life. Perfect. That mindset has seeped into active shooter response, right? So they're, tra they're training now for the, all their tactics to be very deliberate, very cohesive, you know, very choreographed. We're, and we're, we've seen that. I've seen this from our SWAT team when I was there, slowing down on active shooters and you can't slow down. So we're trying to teach that mindset, like Eric said, just to back, reinforce what he said back into him because they're treating us like, a oh, I can go slow and take my time and be perfect. No, you've got to go. And man, I'm telling you, watch that Nashville incident. I'm sure you've seen it before, Dexter. Oh, yeah. I can't say enough. I mean, nothing's perfect. You know, there's a little bit of mistakes here and there, but dude, they did an excellent job. Outstanding. I the standard. I couldn't find a way they could do it any better. They set the standard on that, man. I mean, they got in there and handled business, brother. I was never more proud to wear that uniform, man. And, man, my kind of opinion, I was watching that. If you kind of, if you listen towards the end, when they actually had the engagement up in the second floor of the hallway, uh, the shooter was knocking out glass on the window. In my opinion, I think that shooter was beginning ready to knock out glass and start shooting down on responders that were showing up outside the school. That's what I think was going to happen. I'm not saying it was, but that's just my opinion. Now, when you all look at y'all's uh, 20 plus uh, years in law enforcement, if each of you could look back at one situation you had in your career that kind of inspired you to want to start this organization, what would it be for each of you? Um, I kind of, I already kind of spoke to mine. Um, like I said, I've been to probably a handful of active shooter responses here in Louisville. Um, the one that really stuck out for me was that Kroger incident. When I came in, I was, man, I was off duty. I was on my way to the gym. You know, the SWAT guys would get the workout before, you know, before shift. I was in shorts and a t-shirt and I was in an unmarked car. Uh, I heard the call come out on the radio. I was at Gene Snyder in Barkstown Road. I took off down Barkstown, went down to Hurstbourne pulled into the movie theater parking lot, parked my car, got my vest, got my rifle, got my gun belt on, didn't have time for a helmet or a radio. I just took off running, ran to the back door of the Kroger. And I told you, I saw those people standing in that freezer, uh, huddled up, didn't have any idea what to do. So uh, kind of secured them and I went through the Kroger and it, it was eerie, dude, let me tell you. Most people don't realize that there's music playing at the grocery store. You know, when you walk around, there's music playing those speakers. Oh, you kind of don't really listen to it because you're busy doing what you're doing. Well, the day that I was in that Kroger, there was not a soul in that Kroger. Nobody. And that music was playing. And that's all I could hear was that music. And I'm clearing the Kroger. And, uh, you know, I ended up meeting up with uh, one of my good buddies, Mike Jacobs, who was over at J-Town. Uh, he responded. He was a retired SWAT officer from Louisville. One of my mentors coming on the SWAT team when I was a young guy. And uh, he retired and went over to J-Town. 
and he responded to the incident as well. And uh, he and I just happened to run into each other in that Kroger. Um, and then we went over and, you know, found the dead bodies laying in the Kroger and out in the parking lot. And um, that, that whole experience of looking on those faces of the people in the, in the freezer really kind of set me off into this direction to make sure that, you know, I want the police and the first responders that have training, but I really want the civilians because there's not a lot of opportunities for them out there. So Eric gave you a very personal account. I'll give you more of a company overview general. So we all worked in an organization, right? And all, all three of us at different times in our career tried to do something to make it better or do something right. And we were told no, right? Mm -hmm. that, it happens. We set out to have a company that we control to where we we get to get people involved in this information in the, in the correct way. Secondarily, like I knew I just couldn't retire and go work at Kroger or ride a beat again. That's just not my, my mindset. I wanted to have something that I was passionate about as I was on the SWAT team in my secondary life, right? Any number of SWAT guys could have done this, but the difference between Eric and I, and you know us both, is I'm not afraid to fail, man. If we messed up and we didn't make it, we didn't make it. People are afraid to take that leap and put all the work in to create the content you can be proud of. You know, people just, I'll borrow this from there. All of our stuff's original. Like it's, it's stuff that we developed over the course of time. So we wanted to have a, a resource for the people that actually really wanted to have impactful training and not just pay a bill to say you did it. So definitely, man. So let me ask you all with the current landscape in America with these shootings constantly happening. I mean, you know, we had the uh, Parkland shooting in Florida, the one in Nashville, the uh, the naval the naval base a couple months ago, the Buffalo grocery store shooting. I want your all's personal opinions as to why do you all believe and think these incidents continue to keep happening in America. Let me take this um, one. I, I mean, we, we, I'm sure we both got a response. I'm, I'm going to keep it real simple on my end. It's kind of like our response and, and how you respond to anything to try to improve. You have to have a multiple, like a multi-layered approach, right? You have to have a layered approach. Not just one thing is going to fix everything, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to have to have multiple layers um, of variables that address several issues. These things are very complicated. Um, and I'm sure Dale's going to get into this because uh, we talk about this quite a bit. Um, you know, you, you can't you can't just fix this with gun control. You can't just fix this with walls. You can't just fix this with locking people up. Like those are those are elements to help uh, deal with the issue. But at the same time, you have to look at man. There's you know there's a lot of mental illness. There's a lot of mental illness involved in this. There's a lot of social media uh, where people are you know trying to copycat each other and build off each other. Um, and man. People want to use these incidents to kind of meet their agendas and whatever agenda they have, whatever they're going to use that. We just care about people living. We care about saving their life. Like to me, an active shooter, you know, most of the time, they're cowards. These are people yeah. that are arming themselves and they're going after people who aren't expecting it, who aren't armed, who don't protect themselves, and they're gunning them down in numbers. And then they're waiting to have either be killed by the first responders showing up or they kill themselves. Um, now, I'm not saying that they're having an easy life or they're not having going through a tough time. Um, I'm not saying that at all. But let me tell you, if you're going out and killing kids, there's something wrong. Like yeah. you got some stuff that you need to deal with. Yeah, you got to go. <laughs> so I'll, Eric touched on everything that I was going to touch on when we teach this. Um, you don't hear about them anymore unless you have one like Nashville that was politically charged on both sides. Both sides had a talking point, right? Mm -hmm. Some crazy stuff happened in the media. 
nowadays an active shooter gets you about 24 hours of coverage if it's kids. If it's not, you get about 12. Uh, did you know there was four people shot at Isles of Palm on the beach yesterday, Spring Breakers? South Carolina, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this continues to happen and it doesn't get it, it, as much as we know it's in our community. Back in the day, this would have been on the news for a week, man. But the media, mm -hmm. they focus on when I first became the police officer, whatever bleeds leads. Right. That's what they teach you on the news. Now it's all about divisive politics. Um, 2006 to 2007, the number of active shooters, three or more casualties doubled. Then every year after that, it doubled and doubled and doubled. That's the same year the iPhone came out. The same year social media came out. Eric already said it. Back in the day, I couldn't reference this or research it or see what somebody else is doing. Dude, there's websites that are literally for active shooters in the dark web. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that we've seen. And there's a community of people out there that talk about this with each other. Hey, man, what'd you do? They're learning. Highland Park shooting um, last 4th of July outside of Chicago. The guy, yeah. dressed up like a, the guy dressed up like a woman, went to a four-story building, was gone for four hours. Because active shooters, you'll look like me and Eric generally. They're learning. They're evolving. So the more information that's out there for them is huge. Mental illness, man. How much mental illness is undiagnosed in America? How much is diagnosed and not even and not even treated, right? So it's a whole number of things coming together. And again, it's just – and we don't even see the tip of the iceberg of it because it's not – our society is not set up right now to heal itself from where we're at. So these numbers are just going to keep on going up. There's just, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And some of the if stuff we could... talk about in our class, man, when we're going through our training with the people, we'll talk to them like, hey, just have some compassion, right? Reach out to that coworker, reach out to that, that friend of yours or that family member that's going through a hard time, ask them how they're doing, just check in on them. A lot of these people feel like they've been isolated or they feel like they've been shunned or they feel like they're they're, they're misunderstood. Nobody understands what they're going through. If you just show a little bit of compassion, you, you, you may stop an active shooter and not even realize it. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to talk to insurance companies as maybe talk to them about trying to get this training set up for their clients. But, you know, you can't quantify the number because you don't know what you stop if it doesn't happen. So we just ask people to be compassionate, be a human being, care about other people, ask how they're doing, and if you see something, I know it's cliche, say something. say something. Let somebody know what's going on. And then you may never know what you may stop just by doing that. Right? Uh, Show a little bit that you care for somebody. A mother just turned her child in this week for Instagram post, right? So we, we tell people all the time, if you're in a somewhat big city, there's police units that investigate threats online. Call them, right? Let them do their threat assessments. Um, how many of these have been stopped, like Eric said? And we tell people in the training too, like if you got somebody that's got some crazy social media stuff, let somebody know, right? Who knows what that can stop? So huge. So yeah, again, Dexter, yeah. man, it's a, it's a multi-layered approach. Like I said, multi-layered issues require multi-layered approaches and not one thing is ever going to fix it all. It's never one thing, brother. So let me ask you all this question. If you, each of you were president as of today and you could do one thing to help enact, you know, to help stop this one policy you could think of for yourself personally that you would think would go a long way, what would it be for each of you? Okay, I'll take the uh, government side, Eric. You can take the civilian side. I would. <laughs> I, 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 I would. I, I would set a mandate and have a national standard for police, fire, EMS, combined response using rescue task force. I would arm and train and have school resource officers in every single school in America. 
Um, and I would better equip through federal funding all, the, all these departments to make this happen. So I'm a small department wherever I can apply for this federal funding and get the same training that hopefully STAT would provide, right? Um, but make a standard. Make something, at least get people on a, on a ground floor and then they can work up from there. So it would be resources, money, and putting arms, uh, SROs in every single school. And that's, just, that's the school side of it. Hey, try to put you on the spot, sorry. I can't follow that up, jeez. <laughs> I guess on the civilian side, I mean, like I said, you know, kind of be aware of social media. You know, a lot of people, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll put it out there that they're going to do it. Uh, one of the deals that Dale was talking about up in Chicago when they had the parade, the guy that was involved in that shooting, um, he had put that on his social media a year prior. Um, there was a parade. He followed the parade. At the end of the parade, at the tail end, he, he put a, like a montage or some sound of gunfire on his social media that parade, which is he was kind of announcing that he was going to do it. So, um, man, be aware of social media. I said mental illness. You know, we don't spend a lot. You know, we don't spend enough resources on on, on mental illness in this country. Um, I don't get into the politics and the agendas of people. I don't care. I don't. I don't care. I don't care what gender you are, what race you are, what age you are. I don't care, man. People are people, and just treat people like they're people. Right. Everybody's got a different perspective. Everybody's got a different way of handling business. Just be respectful of one another. But if you're caught, if you're bringing a gun to your place of employment or some kind of public, you know, area that gun people down because you're mad, man, we gotta we gotta deal with with, with some issues with that on the on the mental illness side. Um, like I said, as far as like gun violence in America, I mean, we all see where it's at. We know it's a problem. Um, I don't think throwing people in jail and gunning or banning firearms is, is going to be an answer. It's not a realistic approach. Um, I think there are variables in the mix. But um, just be, be compassionate, man. Take, take care of each other. Like, I, Don't be so angry about everything with everybody. Uh, that's, I don't know. You kind of put me on the spot there. That <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. We're going to be intrigued. He sounds, he sounds awesome. Oh. I sound like Jack no, no, no. It, it, it's similar approaches. It's just it's it's for everyone. It needs to be common sense knowledge, right? If if it's not our training or somebody else's training, have a national platform or a standard where this gets out to civilians on a, on a national level, right? Understand, you know, not one thing's going to stop this, you know, because bad guys are always going to have guns. You can make gun control oh, yeah. as hard as you want; they're always going to have guns. And the other thing we can say is. What always stops an active shooter event? It's another gun, right? So the whole yin and yang of firearm control. But yeah, man, it's just people being serious about it, right? And the whole, it's, it's in our tagline, you have it on your, the podcast, dude, hope's not a tactic. If you hope it's not going to happen in your hometown, guess what? It, it, it will eventually. It's just going to happen. Man, right, and uh, we all know, like, I was already said it before, Dexter, you heard this. We all work for the same agency, and at one point in my career, in our careers, we always heard, uh, it won't happen here. We don't have to worry about that. You know, we're, we're in a good spot. That won't happen here. Um, you hear that all the time, you know, throughout, you know, history. People say, oh, it won't happen to me. It'll happen to somebody else. Take some responsibility. Lose that. Because that, that's a pretty egotistical statement to make, that it won't happen to me. It won't happen here. Man, you got to be a little bit more humble. And you got to prepare yourself and your people and take care of them and show that you care. And just be realistic and put a little bit of effort into the training. Make yourself aware. We don't tell people to live scared. We don't tell people to be paranoid. We just want you to be empowered. And when you're empowered, you'll be calm and you know how to make decisions under stress. Don't make a decision for the first time when a thing happens to you, right? You should be mentally prepping that out and repping that out before it ever happens. 
man, one of the things we talk about when our, in our classes, we'll ask people, hey, man, who in here is a sports fan? Like, who's, who's a big sports fan? And we'll get, you know, some feedback from the class, and they'll say so-and-so or this team, that team. And we'll say, hey, man, do you think that team or that person, when the incident happened, like the Super Bowl game or the uh, – Kobe hit the game winner. Three. Yeah, the, you know, the game winner. When they had the game winner home run, do you think they rose to the occasion? And we get a lot of different responses. And our response is this. You don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your level of training each and every time, whether that's a – professional athlete, whether it's a military special operations, a police officer, a firefighter, EMS, or somebody who's just working at the local grocery store, whatever it is, you are not going to rise to the occasion. You are going to fall to your level of training, right? And that's that's kind of what we stick with, man. Ain't, ain't no wrong with that, brother. That's, you know, training is always good and always important, man. But like, like you, y'all were saying where you know, people say never here, not here. Now, I remember I wasn't in Louisville at the time the 2020 stuff kicked off. I was in Arizona and I was watching on my phone and I'm watching people protest downtown because I remember I was watching people destroy Minneapolis. I was like, that ain't going to happen in Louisville. That's not going to, it's never happened in Louisville. We've had protests for years. Nobody has ever you know, tried to hurt the police during a protest. The next thing you know, I was like, oh, damn, it's going I down. Do. I said the same thing. I was like, I've been in the city a long time. I, I dealt with the last mini protests and what happened. And it it caught everybody off guard. I'll tell you that right now. Absolutely caught everybody off guard. So with you all being in leadership positions in the police department during that time, I'm trying another off question, but man, what's kind of like the biggest lesson you learned you took away from 2020 in y'all's positions as officers? Man, um, it comes down to training your people consistently. Um, one of the things I dealt with um, during the, you know, that time in 2020 in Louisville is I was a, a, a sergeant at the ranch. So a lot of the things that I was trying to kick up. So Colonel Humphrey and I at the time were working on trying to implement a less lethal program for patrol. Uh, the patrol side of the, of the agency had, had lost that capability. They lost that resource. Um, they never really were really good at it anyways. That was always kind of left up to special operations to kind of handle. And the guys in SRT and the guys on SWAT were really good at Leslie Cole. Had a lot of reps at it, had a lot of training, a lot of knowledge, right? Um, a lot of generational knowledge that was, that was in that. And when I got down to the range, uh, Humphrey and I were trying to implement that less lethal program back into patrol unrelated to the, the, the incidents in 2020 in Louisville. And we just happened to get caught off guard before we were ever get that up and running. And so now you have a lot of patrol officers who have very little training or experience in that less lethal deployment. And it's not just how to deploy it, but it's when and where and in what manner and being educated on the, the, the response from less lethal. And so you had a lot of officers who had to deal with the repercussions of bad decisions or uh, improper deployment. And I don't really blame them as much as I blame our department for not preparing those officers. So just because it doesn't happen often doesn't mean you shouldn't train for it. So when you train for it, you give yourself that sense of calm, you give yourself that sense of empowerment. And so when you train more people across the board and then we all have that generational knowledge, it doesn't disappear and we're not scrambling you know, in the middle of an emergency, trying to get people to do the right thing. And at the end of the day, 
they're left holding the bag on uh, on their decisions. And it's not that they were even trained on it. They were just familiar with it. And so my thing would just invest in your training more often. Not so much, you don't have to do so much like a week of it here or a day of it here, but spread that out and do like two hours a day here, do it 30 minutes a week, do it twice a month. You know, that, that's science. There's proven science that shows when you spread that training out in adult education, you retain that information longer than when you're just doing it for like a 40 hour block or a, an eight hour block. You're spreading it out over time and getting more reps in. That's where I'm at. Guilty. Eric, Eric was very humble about that. He got about half the department trainer. There would have been probably another 25 lawsuits because less lethal, you have to know where, what you can't do, right? Obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and you were on SRT, so you know about that. The no-no areas, things like that. Um, the biggest thing I learned, and it, this is, it's, it was, a, you know, throughout my whole career to just crystallize even more. Um, departments are not willing to make institutional change to some really, really bad stuff happens. And by really, really bad stuff, I mean really, really bad stuff. Um, the department wants to keep the same mentality, use a, a, a unit as a tool in a specific manner and, and expect the same results, right? So what it did for us on the team specifically is it gave us greater control on how we were used. Before, we were just a, a hammer for whatever they needed us for, right? And we had to come out and do no matter what it was, whether or not it was the right thing to be there at, right? So it gave us more control. And it also, you know, on the SWAT team, we have something called the priorities of life, you know, hostages, civilians, police, bad guys, right? That's always been part of our ethos. The department didn't always have it like that, man. How many times did you run into a house chasing dope? A bunch? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Think about it. And then our eyes wasn't really open until 15 and 16 when the Fed started slowing down. Like, man, that's a good idea. So teams across the country have gained more um, say in the room when it comes to how they're deployed, which is a good thing because – you still got people who work narcotics that think, man, that's my dope. I got to get it, right? Like the dope's on the priority. There's no dope on the priorities of life, right? It doesn't exist. We'll try to help you make your case, but we're there to make a safe, oper a safe operation happen. Definitely, man. Well, gentlemen, I definitely appreciate having y'all on. So we're going to get ready to wrap it up, man. And uh, man, before we get out of here, uh, where can people find you all on social media? If there's somebody that wants to get to the training, they want anything to do with this, man, where can they look y'all up at? Well, just our website is www.activeaggressor.com. That's A-G-G-R-E-S-S-O-R. -S -S a lot of people misspell that. But uh, that's our website, and then um, it'll take you into links, but Dale can talk to you about you know our other social media kind of things. Yeah, we've got a small social media footprint this far. Um, we were so concerned with building our, our inventory of services and our brand that that was all secondary to us. We want to make sure we have the product where we can go anywhere in the country and treat anybody – 20,000 people if we need to. We've, we've been on jobs that large before. So we're now actually developing that 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 media capability. Uh, we got a Facebook page, not very busy. We have Instagram and we have a TikTok channel. And all those can be linked from our websites. We update content whenever we can. We're bad about being somewhere and just being so focused on the training, not not doing that. But um, yeah, like you said, our website for sure. Y'all doing, yeah. doing TikTok dances? What's that? Y'all doing TikTok dances on TikTok? No, man. If if it got us, if it got us, if it got us, job, man, I'm I'm open to just about anything. I don't know. I might have to. I might have to put a stance up for that one. But. Yeah, my my, my thirteen year old daughter. We also got some partners too. Uh, we kind of mentioned earlier, Safe Stream, which is kind of the phone app. 
Um, if you go to our website, we have a tab for our partners. Uh, SafeStream is one of our big partners. Uh, we work with a company called GS2, who uh, you can go to the website and kind of read about what they do and their reach across the country. Um, we're working with some off-duty companies. Um, you, you know, you guys, Bluegrass Police Services, Police Security Services. Um, we got some companies that we're trying to build partnerships with as well. So I just want to throw some, you know, shouts out to those guys because they're helping us out and they're on the same mindset to try to get people trained up as well. Gotcha. Oh, and then we also got a partner down in Florida, man. You got to meet this guy too one day. I think he should be on your show. A man named Clay Pacheco. He owns a company called Emergency Preparedness Group. He's a retired EMA director down in Florida. Uh, really good guy, really solid, very knowledgeable. Um, he's kind of helping us link up uh, our training, our information with the people that are involved in the dispatch dispatch and EMS worlds. Because like I said, you can't do this alone. And when you show up to that active shooter incident, you're going to need EMS and dispatch to be rolling with you. Nice. So last question before we wrap it up, man. Five to 10 years, man. What's what's that going to be doing in five to 10 years? What's it going to be looking like? Um, five to 10 years from now, where I'd love to be at is, you know, we still train periodically, but we're more just selling the brand nationwide. Um, we have a, a two-year plan of actually um, getting some licensing agreements set up with other former SWAT guys across the country that are looking to do what we're doing with the same passion. But instead of you having to create something, you work in collaboration with us. So we can get a satellite office in Memphis, in Nashville. We want to give dudes with our similar experiences that have that passion, the ability to continue that passion and help train people and keep them safe. So that's that's our main uh, go strategically as far as how we're going to grow as a company is to get satellite offices in other states and, you know, and just us be the brand selling it and always creating, you know, up-to-date content. We're also getting a bunch of our content uh, certified. Our, our curriculum hopefully will be certified both on the state level and the national level soon so that as a government agency, you can receive in-service credit for the training. Um, nice. So, you know, you know, you, you know, it's important to get that credit for your training. So we're going to try to get that standardized and get that curriculum approved so that, um, you know, we're ready to get people trained up across the country, but we're ready to evolve also. You know, this, I hope it doesn't look the same as it does now. I hope five years from now, you know, we've evolved with it. We've changed with it. We've improved and we've got an outreach of like Dale said, people across the country who can kind of come together and create almost like a, uh, like a board, like an advisory board where we can talk about this together and have standards in place or learn from each other. Definitely, man. Um, I'm like, I'm glad y'all are doing what y'all are doing. And the reason I had y'all on the show is because I've worked under both of you and I know the products that you all have produced. And man, I trust you all's knowledge. I trust your experience and I trust your judgment. That's why I wanted to get y'all on here to get it out to the rest of not just my viewers, but I, man, just anybody across the country. Because I said, it's a shame that we live in a time where we have to have a company that teaches people how to survive active shooters that happen on a regular. But like I said, I'm glad that we have people with your experience out here doing it to help the everyday citizen survive these encounters and incidents. Well, thank you for the kind words, Dexter. We really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure coming on here with you, man. Appreciate definitely, it. Definitely, definitely, man. Hey, thank you all for coming on, man. And like I said, everybody, make sure to go visit the website. I'm not going to try to spell it because I'm definitely going to mess it up. So. <laughs> I just messed it up too, bro. <laughs> so definitely go check them out man sars lt thanks for having me on man hey y'all enjoy y'all retirement although y'all ain't really retired y'all working man y'all jet setting across the country so hey man keep doing it all right 
Appreciate you. Living a good life. Hey, no problem.